It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio from our national capital region, Washington, D.C., and, of course, our little annex satellite office up in New York City. Speaking of New York City, joining me as she does every Tuesday when she can, she is the former attorney for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign in Ohio. She is a bar certified attorney in the Garden State of New Jersey and the Empire State of New York. She is Sharmila Achari. Hello, Sharmila. Oh, helps if I turn on your mic. Let's try this again. Hello, Sharmila. Hi, Justin. I'm excited to be here today. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for joining us, Sharmila. In the northern part of the Commonwealth of Virginia, he is last. He is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served under last count for president. He is the longtime Senate staffer and longtime Washington insider. He is the man that we know as Alan Moore. Alan, good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Justin, how are you? Doing fantastic. We have got a busy show today. I mean. Along with the fact that I was given authority to say from somebody who will join us, our, our other regular on the show, uh, the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire, uh, apparently he did not want to be upstaged by the Roy Moore campaign. And he also us to say that we too, our lawyer, is also Jewish. So that being said, let's start with Roy Moore and... <laughs> The uh, the flaming pile of political heat that is the special election in Alabama. For those of you who do not know what is going on down there, uh, today is a special election to fill the seat last last held and vacated by current Attorney General uh, Sessions, who vacated that after many years of service with the U.S. Senate from Alabama. Now we this new special election pits. The Democrat, a very moderate conservative def- Democrat uh, named Doug Jones, against uh, accused pedophile and two times disbenched Supreme Court Justice Roy Moore. Uh, it has become more bizarre in the past 72 hours than one could ever expect, to the point where uh, Roy Moore showed up at his place for polling, his polling precinct on a horse named Sassy. That is 24 hours after said Judge Roy Moore gave a interview, the only interview he's done to a 12-year-old girl. This gets, you can't make this stuff up. Even in D.C., we're going, people who write for Veep are looking at this going, we can't make this up. Let me start with uh, Sharmla. Sharmla, we've seen polls. We've seen a Fox poll that has Jones high as 10 points. 
Uh, other polls have it a lot tighter, going back and forth between Moore up three or four, Jones up two or three. Is, is this a must-win for Democrats, in not just in Alabama, but in the Senate and nationwide? I mean, it's a, it would be amazing to win, right? I don't think it's a must-win. The, the smart money is still on more eking out a narrow victory, or some people saying eking out a pretty big victory because Alabama is a ruby-red state. This is not, you know, this is not Ohio or Michigan or Wisconsin where, where a Democratic win would signal a huge demographic shift or, um, or you know, reflect some sort of indicator that I mean, we're talking. Was, I mean, Charlotte, we're talking about a Demo- We're talking about a Democratic Party that hasn't had real substantial infrastructure in Alabama for the better part of over a decade. Exactly, and so I think if Jones wins, that will be a testament to the toxicity of Roy Moore, and I think the you know the investment of national Democrats in this race when it started to look winnable. But I don't think I think if Jones does not win. No one is going to be shocked. Hey, uh, Alan, do you agree? Well, um, I, I agree with that. I think that that uh, uh, this is a, one of those very weird cases where, given the environment there and, and how red the state uh, has become, um, that uh, a Democratic victory in the election itself would would be a big surprise. It would not speak to strength among the, the Democrats. It would speak to this grotesque candidate that uh, prevailed in the Republican primary, and then who continues to uh, uh, to be competitive uh, with uh, the help of the president uh, directly, uh, the the help uh, in the last week of the Republican National Committee that decided to resume. Uh, spending some money there um, in, a, in a move that bothered a lot of <laughs> a lot of other Republicans, um, and and uh, uh, it, it, so there, there aren't there aren't big national uh, uh, lessons that, that that Democrats could use elsewhere if if uh, the Democrats do win. Uh, having said that, this is one of those really strange cases where one can argue that the Democrats can't lose, meaning that either they pull out a most unlikely uh, victory and uh, and gain a Senate seat um, that no one expected them to have, um, uh, or uh, Roy Moore is elected to the Senate and they can uh, spend uh, uh, the next uh, period of time up to the 2018 elections and beyond, depending upon what happens with Roy Moore, just beating the living hell out of Republicans for uh, being supportive of uh, this creep um, and uh, an accused pedophile, um, uh, an embarrassment uh, to uh, to Republicans all, uh, embarrassment to the state of, Atlanta, of of Alabama, an embarrassment to a lot of uh, Republicans uh, in Alabama. Um, who are trying to figure out what to do, whether to uh, just stay home, um, vote for a Democrat for, in many cases, the first time uh, in their lives, uh, go to the polls, leave it blank, write in another name, 
Let me just jump in real quick, Alan, and I want to ask you this question is, you know, you, you have a situation where you have a uh, you have an accused sexual harasser, accused pedophile predator type, uh, a disgraced former disbenched judge. Uh, some question his sanity, but you have this individual in Judge Roy Moore who seems to have captivated the Republican Party beating a, a what some would call establishment candidate. But this is exactly the worst nightmare of the Republican Party. The baseline of the question I'm going to is, is this – populism real or is this trumped up populism well it, it's complicated you know there, there's it, 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 there's there's no single answer that fits uh, the entire voter profile you look at the people who like who, who will vote for uh, judge Moore um, some of them like him and agree with him uh, his 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 most out there um, racist um, uh, sexist um, uh, commentary um, anti anti gay uh, anti woman um, uh, behavior of which of which there is a, a significant amount um, and there are some people who just agree with them then there are those who think that the charges that that the accusations uh, about him that have been made are phony. They think that somehow the evil Washington Post, which broke the initial story, somehow recruited and found and persuaded uh, a, a, a wide range of, of women uh, who didn't know each other to make up charges uh, against him, and they think it's, it's all uh, a giant lie. So they may not agree with everything Moore does, but they think that these lies, uh, uh, that, that these accusations are lies and they resent it. Then there's a whole strain of people in Alabama who deeply resent outsiders coming into the state, telling them what to do. And that's sort of a, a, a part of this Washington Post uh, anger. Uh, they don't seem to mind that a former New York Democrat who happens to sit in the White House uh, uh, tells him what to do, or that <laughs> Steve Bannon, a guy who hap- he, he he was born in, <laughs> in Virginia, but uh, but but was worked for uh, he went to Georgetown and, and Harvard, as he pointed out uh, yesterday. And, which, and, by the uh, way, which to, by the way, our to, friend went to Goldman Sachs in New York our, and, and Hollywood. So, by the way. On that on that topic, uh, our friend uh, and colleague here at Backroom Politics, Jonathan Allen, who's now at NBC News, was the one who tweeted that out originally, making fun of Joe Scarborough from going to Alabama, which went viral, and then causing you know everybody to question Steve Bannon's thought process of, do you actually know where you are? You don't make fun of Alabama in Alabama saying, I know what's best for you because I went to Georgetown and Harvard. That's brilliant. Hey, you know what? And speaking of Alabama and Roy Moore and having Jewish attorneys, joining us on the line, he is the former Joe Biden political operative, longtime Washington insider, and bar certified in the Great State of Maryland and the District of Columbia. 
Unlike the Roy Moore campaign, we actually let him have a microphone and a stage point. Dan Lipner, Esquire. How you doing, Dan? I'm I'm busy packing. I hear that they like Jewish lawyers in Alabama. I, th- I think there's a job <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> uh, no, no. I think it's only I think it's only for no, out no, of no, state no. work, Dan. Yeah, it's only out of state Jewish lawyers. They don't actually like you being there. Ah, well, that's all the better for me then. And question, they've already got one. I, I don't know if they need another. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, let, let me let me go to Dan Lipner. Dan, this has got to be for Democrats. I mean, as, as a Republican looking inside on this, to me, it's a win-win for the Democrats. Are the Democrats looking at this as a win-win? That either you – know, if Doug Jones loses, Roy Moore is still going to have – a, a, a complete and total crap show in Washington. If Doug Jones wins, it's the first win that they've had in the better part of two decades. Yes. I mean, there's no way around it. This is, this is all good for team Democrats. I mean, the Roy Moore is a train wreck any way you cut it. And the, the gift that keeps on giving for all the nonsense that he will spew. I mean, for the <laughs> Within a week of the president saying he's going, he is going to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, you have Roy Moore's wife with prepared remarks. Very important. She was reading <laughs> off of paper when she thought this was a good idea. This was not off the cuff. Um, says something like that. It's like, all right, great, thanks. Uh, you know, any inroads you may have made right there, gone uh, two seconds later. Appreciate that. Um, so it, it, that, uh, I, I suspect that won't be the last we hear of the Moore family uh, if he should get sworn in at the United States Senate. Should he not get sworn in in the Senate, then, then yeah, this is huge. For at least two years, we get a Democrat in the seat that we have no business having uh it would be nice if democrats could actually field candidates in the deep south um which is a slightly different issue since abortion seems to be the litmus test that 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 can't be crossed and since the national democratic party can't bring bring ourselves to have a pro-life democrat in a state that will never support a statewide pro-life or uh, pro-choice candidate uh it, it, that's just going to be the, the the cross we have to bear there. But that said, at least for the short term, yeah, this is all wins. Well, let me let me follow up on that, Dan, with Sharmila. Sharmila, actually, Sharmila, go ahead, and I want to follow up with you. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, politically, I agree with Dan that yes, this is an all win, you know, a a kind of a, a win-win situation for Democrats. But I want to sort of just touch on, you know, as a the damage that Roy Moore, if he is elected, can cause in our discourse in our society, right? The reason that Roy Moore is so dangerous isn't because he's an accused child molester. That speaks to his character. But the reason he's dangerous, the reason he was removed from the Alabama Supreme Court twice is because he doesn't respect the Constitution as rule of law. He respects his own sort of personal religious values and, you know, and the Bible as supreme law. And he... And he tells that to his supporters, and he tells that, them that that is normal. He tells them that that is an okay way to be as, a, as an elected official, as a United States senator. And it's not. And the more that he's given a platform to normalize this, 
the more this voter divide is going to expand, the more that people who agree with him are going to believe that this is an okay thing to think, that, you know, you can, that the Constitution and equal protection laws and the democratic values we have in the United States can be subsumed to your own personal beliefs or opinions. And that's the real danger of Roy Moore. I, I got to tell you something. So Alan how Moore, out for Democrats, it's, it's a bad thing for us as a country. Alan Moore, I, 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 hear, I, I hear what Sharma was saying. What Sharma was saying actually makes sense. This has got to be a nightmare for the Republican Party of the whole. I mean, we, we have this senior seated senator in Alabama, in uh, Senator Shelby, actively saying as late as this afternoon, saying, I will absolutely not vote for Roy Moore. If Roy Moore gets elected, it seems that we've got a huge problem unto ourselves. We've just seated or possibly seated an accused child molester or a predator. That's going to tie up ethics committees eight ways till Sunday. If he does get elected, does this pose a problem for Republican Party as a whole? Does, if Roy Moore is not elected, do we start the internal civil war in the Republican Party? Wait, if he is not elected? If he, if he, if he is not elected, does this start the divide of a possible civil war in the Republican Party? Oh, my God, Justin. That, that divide started years ago. Um, uh, it's just one more uh, aspect uh, of it that uh, that Republicans. Uh, one more reminder of what deep divisions there are. Um, I mean, Roy Moore was a disaster before we knew about him uh, uh, stalking malls, picking up high school girls, um, and and younger. Um, uh, this we'll remember was was a was a big fight uh, between a, a sitting appointed uh, senator uh, when Jeff Sessions uh, became the attorney general. Uh, the, the governor appointed a man named Luther Strange, reliable conservative, uh, and Roy Moore decided to challenge uh, Strange in a primary. And uh, Steve Bannon uh, pulled all of his resources into fighting for supporting uh, Judge Moore um, and his sort of uh, destructive brand of uh, far-right politics. He prevailed, and then then we learned about uh, about Moore's uh, history when he was a young, young meaning in his 30s, um, uh, district attorney preying on little girls, at which point... Uh, numerous Republicans said he doesn't belong in the Senate. He should withdraw. We need to find another candidate. We need to figure something out. And and Judge Moore simply said, go to hell. I'm staying in. And Steve Bannon said, outsiders aren't going to tell us what to do. And we've been in the in, in this situation ever since. So wh- whether Moore wins or loses, the the. Re- the more candidacy and how this has played out is is a painful reminder of how deep the divisions are uh, among Republicans. That's not going to change. Is it a wake up? If he does Let me ask elected, you this, Alan. The, yeah. Let me ask you this, Alan. Is this a wake up call for the RNC, or should it? Be? <laughs> These guys are awake, man. These guys have been having sleepless nights for days, for you know, for a significant period of time. They're awake. They're they don't know what to do. Um, and and 
they, they tried all sorts of ways in the case of Roy Moore uh, to head him off. They spent millions of dollars in the primary uh, uh, to beat him. Um, that didn't work. Um, and, and, uh, and then I'm convinced that one of the reasons that some national Republicans uh, who went on record early and then just kind of went quiet uh, about about Roy Moore was they concluded that the more they talked about it, the more it fed this narrative of outsiders and the establishment Republican Party uh, trying to tell Alabama what to do. Um, I'm not trying to apologize for them. I'm just, you know, have, have, have tried to sort all of this out. You know, you you. <laughs> You're caught between a rock and a hard place. So, so uh, if if he's elected, uh, as Mitch McConnell has said in recent days, there will be it the 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 accusations, the charges made against him um, uh, by individuals will go before the ethics committee, and they will add uh, <laughs> add Roy Moore to the list of Bob Menendez and Al Franken and who knows who else. Uh, in the activities that, that, that they will be looking into. They don't want to look into this stuff. No, no, no. But, Dan Lipner, what is it going to take for uh, Doug Jones to actually pull this off? Is there a formula, or do they just sit there and have a shrine to uh, the Democratic gods and throw coins at it in hopes that some miracle happens? I mean, there's there's no need to make predictions now. The race is being run and the ballots are being cast. We're going to know in a few hours what the results are. Uh, but the whatever the results are, what to Alan's point, and this is actually it's worth part of noting that's part of the problem. The conflation of of Roy Moore with Bob Menendez or Al Franken that's 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 just not fair um of of all the horrible things that happen uh, that politicians can do i am hard pressed to put anyone else in roy moore's category but i'll take it additional steps since i've been saying it repeatedly on the show the uh looking for a republican with integrity is a hard thing to do what senator shelby did this past weekend and has was pretty impressive he, he has, actually has uh, some skin in the game here. Actually speaking out for a state where he actually runs uh, against a fellow Republican who's on the ballot and whose backers are sort of insane, uh, that's kind of a profile in courage. So kudos to Senator Shelby, who I'm quite certain I agree with on almost nothing, but he deserves some, some real credit for stepping out and taking a politically courageous stand, which is something we haven't seen enough, enough of. So, Sherman, let me ask you, as somebody who's been a field operative in a difficult race going back to 2016, your time with the Hillary camp, when we look at the race for Doug Jones in Alabama, you know, I've heard everybody kind of give ideas of what the magic solution is going to be for Doug Jones. Uh, number, I got two questions for you, and I'm going to ask you in, in saying, number one, did, did bringing Barack Obama and Joe Biden and, and, and Charles Barkley to Alabama and robocalls, 
Did that help Doug Jones or could that backfire? Well, I think, you know, the honest answer is that we're not going to know until 9 p.m. tonight. But I don't think it was a bad idea. I think, right, the conventional wisdom is that if Jones has any shot, it's going to be to get, you know, to to really, really turn out African-American voters, right? That's got to be his number one priority. And, you know, and these voters are not all concentrated in big cities. All, a lot of them are in really rural, secluded areas. So bringing out big guns and attracting kind of the biggest names to his campaign to get attention from those smaller rural areas is not a bad is not a bad strategy. Well, let me, you know, let me second, go back to that. And oh, go ahead. Second, uh, kind of, to, to answer the question that you asked Dan, right, like what are the strategies that, you know, Doug, Doug Jones could win, to, could use to pull out a win, is, you know, turning out the African-American vote and then turning out the younger kind of white college-educated vote who traditionally have skewed Republican but are now starting to skew more to the center. If he can peel those uh, votes away from the Republican candidate or even get them to not vote, then again, if he can suppress turnout in those categories or get them in his favor, then he can pull off a victory. So to the extent that, you know, again, national figures like uh, Joe Biden and Obama are compelling to younger voters, it's not a bad strategy. Do I think it happened too late? Perhaps. I think getting, you know, Obama and Biden in the game 24 hours before the election is less productive than getting them in 72 hours before the election. But What's done is done. Okay, but let me ask. Let me ask you this then. Um, it, I've heard. I've heard. I've talked to several people down in Alabama, and they've said that if, in order for Doug Jones to really win, there has to be a larger turnout in the urban areas. That being that of Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Mobile. It would also have to be a, uh, a, a. It would also have to mean that there would be a a large turnout of people that won't openly admit that they're going to vote for a Democrat. Looking at those two, is, is that too much to hope for in seeing Doug Jones get elected? Is are the Democrats putting too much into that? I don't think so. I think that that's a, a very legitimate. Um legitimate observation. I think right there, studies are showing that there is a large swath of Alabama voters who voted for Romney, but then did not back more in the primaries. And so that there is that slice of voters who, like you said, you know, are Republican primary voters, so aren't going to admit that they're going to vote for a Democrat, but could get comfortable with it if the opposite is, if, if the alternative is Roy Moore, who is, you know, problematic for a large list of reasons. So let me ask this question to well, let me ask this question to Dan Lipner. Dan Lipner, is is Roy Moore's existence enough to rally the black and 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 more moderate vote in the urban areas to get to the polls to vote for Jones? I don't know. I mean, this is this is the million dollar question that we're about to see play out. Uh, Roy Moore is is an impressively scary figure for lots of people on all sides of any anything of people with character and integrity. Uh, the question is whether or not the the Republicans like uh, Senator Shelby, who are going to put their hands in their pockets and vote for some third party as a symbolic move, as they vote against Moore, uh, and the Democrats and other folks who are legitimate. 
uh, Doug Jones supporters are enough to overcome the zealots that are Roy Moore backers? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. The number of people that back Roy Moore uh, and have have said some scary, scary things in defense of some indefensible actions by Roy Moore. Uh, That's kind of disturbing, Um, but we'll see what plays out. And I think Roy Moore made the best case for African... Sorry, I was just going to say, I think Roy Moore himself made the best case for African-Americans to vote against him when completely unprompted, he talked about how America was best when there was still slavery. Like, that wasn't even a gotcha question. He just said it. Yeah, just unsolicited. Just... It's like his wife yesterday in prepared remarks saying what she said. Um, Alan Moore, when we when we look at this and we look at the advent of uh, the the Steve Bannon brand of Republican politics, is this single race is the next couple of hours the difference between Steve Bannon going away as a political joke or single handedly taking over? Uh, a more populist Republican Party moving forward. Well, uh, I, I I'd like to think that there were something that would make him go away. Um, I I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's going to be. Um, now it's clear that if if Moore is victorious, given uh, the 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 national mood, um, the uh, all, all of the negatives that 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 have been uh, made by other Republicans, notwithstanding the sense that <laughs> Dan's search for profiles and courage, um, there, there have been a lot of a lot of uh, elected Republicans who have been highly critical and have said he should step aside. At some point, you have to decide: Am I going to keep saying that? Is that actually helping Roy really Moore? I'm not saying it is. I, I, I don't know. I, I would not like to be uh, in, in their position because you don't want anybody to be able to say, oh, you went, you went silent. Uh, where, is, where is your moral principle? Um, but, but it's clear that, that, that most U.S. Uh, Republican senators would not like Roy Moore to, to join them. Uh, having said that, they would also <laughs> prefer to have a two-vote uh, <laughs> margin uh than, than a one vote they just couldn't figure out a way to get more out of the way and and elect another republican now their hope is if he comes and you have an ethics committee uh investigation that shows a, a, a clear pattern of what we think happened um uh, if we believe these women and i do and most of us do um then is there a chance that the uh, senate might expel move to expel him uh at which point there would be a vacancy uh, that uh, the governor of uh, Alabama, who happens to be a Republican, would fill, uh, and we'd get back to uh, <laughs> a a non a, 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 a two vote uh, majority uh, without Roy Moore. That's the only right. pathway now uh, uh, to 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 get there. That's an ugly, nasty depressing, horrible pathway where there's lots of collateral damage um, for, uh, for Republicans. Um, but uh, that now looks like uh, the, the, the sad best choice for Republicans to, to, to keep the, 
the 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 two vote majority without Roy Moore, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of distraction, um, and uh, and is not in any way useful or productive uh, uh, for the country. Um, but, is, is, but that's well, the situation. Bannon, you know, when he'll he'll survive one way or the other. Um, he'll he'll be he'll play the victim that uh, the national Republicans did what he said that they do all the time, and here's evidence of it. And uh, there will be po- people who believe that uh, if if he loses, um, uh, he'll. I mean, that, again, he'll 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 blame. Uh, them and, and have a following. If he prevails, um, even though the odds in that particular state are, uh, who knows, maybe slightly favor more at this point. It's hard. There's polls on both sides of it. Uh, we're right. going to wait and see. Right, uh, Dan. Or uh, I'm sorry, Sharma Charlie, Is is the rise and the fact that Roy Moore is still in the race and being competitive? Is this a signal that uh, Mitch McConnell has, in fact, maybe lost control of being a solid leader in the party? Is is, is this a sign that maybe he is weak and Steve Bannon might I be right? Think, I think that ship sailed back in you know 2015 when Donald Trump was steamrolling towards the nomination. I think, you think that he – you think, think – let me get this straight. You're saying that, that – uh, Mitch McConnell hasn't had total control since 2015. No, I think that Trumpism. Like I, I think that it's looking to Roy Moore as a sign of these things is missing the point. Trump started this. Roy Moore is just an extension of Trumpism, but with a slightly different, with a more religious bent. Right? They're the exact same character. And so I think you you look back to the rise of Trump of this you know, this outsider figure, this guy who said and came in and said, look, ever, all these established people that, you know, you've looked to for all these years, they're against me, so therefore I must be doing something right. And people believed him, and Roy Moore has just capitalized on that. So I, I don't think that you can attribute, I don't think you can give any attribution to Roy Moore for any of the stuff that's going on, right? He's exacerbating it because his crimes somehow are worse, or his, you know, alleged crimes, or his sort of, you know, he says, right, Roy Moore says the things that Donald Trump only implies in terms of his views on race and, you know, Muslims and gay people women and women. and but, blacks and everybody else. Right, exactly. But, and, you know, the, the sort of alleged crimes that Roy Moore has perpetrated against women are worse than those that Donald Trump has allegedly perpetrated against women. But they're the same person. Dan Littner, you agree? Um, I don't know. I, I, as much as I loathe Donald Trump, I am hard-pressed to put him in the same category as Roy Moore. Uh, that said, the, 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 the Donald has indeed said some creepy things about underage uh, uh, women as well. So, but, yeah, but what about, there's... Uh, but I want to go back to the question is, is the fact that Roy Moore and this type of populism and Steve Bannon is thriving – is this a sign that Mitch McConnell has lost control? Now, I mean, the Republicans have had this problem for a while. The winnable seats that were lost because of crazy candidates, uh, I mean, Todd Aiken in Missouri and the witch lady in Delaware were both seats that could have been picked up, but you had crazy candidates. Uh, 
the so the the Republican uh, National Committee and the the and has lo- kind of lost control a while ago. I've I've been saying for some time that because of the growth of truly conservative, crazy right wing media, this is. I mean, even beyond the Rush Limbaugh's and Sean Hannity's, the Alex Joneses of the world are just insane. And they pull something that is more than a few steps away from reality, but spoon feed it to their supporters as though it were the facts on the ground. And nothing will convince the people that listen to those media sources that anything that they've heard on those sources is wrong. So... Republicans like Mitch McConnell, who I might have serious policy disagreements on, on on a number of things, at least there is some commonality on facts. Once you go into the Rush Limbaugh and Alex Jones world, facts are just illusory. The, and what do you do when you can't get people to agree on that the, you know, the earth is round and the sky is blue? I mean, it, it, when you can't agree on some basics, those are people you can't communicate with, and the Republican Party has been playing footsies with them for 25, 30 years now. So now they're taking control and Bannon is leading the, the band. It, it, Alan, Alan Moore, is, is this a sign that there could be question that Paul Ryan may not survive 2018 as Speaker, that uh, Mitch McConnell may not be Majority Leader in the Senate anymore? Well, so... So in my mind, uh, those are legitimate question marks that, that, that the answer to which, though, will come from the outcome of the elections of 2018 and whether or not Republicans keep the majority in the House and, uh, and or the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> this is not about Mitch McConnell and him losing power. This is about a massive divide in uh, in the Republican Party that has been growing, as as Dan uh, talked about, um, and that that uh, uh, you you play you, you play footsie, uh, as uh, it was his term with with people with uh, uh, how do we how do we characterize. Uh, the views of some of the alt right alternative of, viewpoints, of white, Alan? you know, white, su- white supremacist <laughs> yeah, type. cynical crazy. No, 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 no. And, yeah, we don't want to say that. I like, I like Sharmila. We'll call them alternative right viewpoints. So, um, there, there's, there's racism in it. There is, there is, uh, uh, anger at, uh, uh, elites at coastal elites. Um, uh, outsiders, there, there's 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 multiple strains. It's it's important not to characterize uh, everybody in, in a single way. And then you have the recession of 2007 and 8, which gave rise to the to the Tea Party and the anger, and uh, and it never went away. So that's that, that, that's not Mitch McConnell's fault. The irony about McConnell, and I've always it, I, I think Bannon. Has, has decided that McConnell is a great uh, foil and a great enemy. And, you know, he, he, he had a point cause he's had some success, but, uh, and, and as somebody who knows McConnell, likes McConnell, respects McConnell, you know, who, who, who am I to say here? Although that's how I feel. And I, and I used to observe him up very closely. Um, the fact of the matter is 
he serves at the pleasure of the caucus of Republicans in the Senate. Every two years, they have an election. He doesn't control that election. He doesn't call that process. It is a hidden ballot election. He wins overwhelmingly. Now, why is that? Because his fellow Republicans in the Senate believe that he is far and away the best leader, uh, the, the, the best person to do an, a well-nigh impossible job of trying to hold together uh, uh, the, the disparate politics and needs and preferences uh, Alan, of the Alan, Republicans in the Senate. Isn't what you're saying what has gotten this Bannon, Alex Jones, Rush Limbaugh following so riled up? I don't know. I mean, I don't think they have a clue how this stuff works. They want to run McConnell out of town. They want candidates who will oppose McConnell. And then people come to the Senate and they size it up and realize what's going on and how it works and what what. Uh, what the alternatives are and who another leader might be. Yep. It's easy to have a scapegoat. It's easy to just trash um, this guy McConnell, who most people don't know, but you come into the Senate and realize, oh, my God, this is complicated. Alan, this is hard. But I think Justin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for McConnell, and no one will know who I vote for. Sharmila, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Justin, I think you do touch on a good point, which is that it is that lack of transparency that is frustrating not only that's frustrating both voters, not just on the Republican side, but on the, on the left as well, right? It is a sort of lack of transparency and secrecy in terms of, you know, legislative procedures and legislative and, and voting. And, you know, as you saw with the healthcare repeal and the tax bill, you know, this closed door process in which nobody knows what's going on until a final bill is presented and then given 72 hours to read and vote on. It's, it's this lack of transparency, I think, that is, fueling a lot of the angst on both ex- on the extreme sides of both parties. And I think that you're right to, to highlight that because that shouldn't be ignored going forward. Well, if either party you know, wants you know, to win back some of these fringes, they need to start opening up their process. See, here's and the thing is, I don't, the Democrats I don't think we started want, doing that. Yeah, you see, here's the thing is, I don't think we do want to win back that side of the fringe. Alan and you have both played into something that I have been saying for the better part of seven years since we started this show back with Congressman Al and Bob Hines and myself at a cigar bar in Washington, D.C., I have been saying, for and, and I just said it about three months ago at a speech at American University where I said that we have created a lazy, stupid, misinformed electorate that takes no personal responsibility in the way that they're governed. Every time I see, like down in Alabama, you know, everybody's saying, well, it, it, it's, the, it's, it's the Washington establishment. It's the Republican establishment that does it. They elect one of their outside whack jobs, i.e. a Roy Moore. He gets up here and he starts, you know, riding in on his horse sassy and saying he's going to change everything. And he gets up here and he doesn't have a clue. And the question I always ask all the people that vote for these guys is how is the view from the cheap seats? Nothing changes when you elect these whack jobs because they get here and they don't know what they're doing. They're caught in the headlights and they actually become worse for their constituents than better. 
So in, this is a bigger problem, I think, than just establishment losing control or or social media. This is an electorate that has to start taking personal responsibility for the way that they're governed. Until we get back to that, we're not going to see regular order. We're not going to see transparency. We're going to be all we're going to be seeing is thirty-second sound bites, jockeying for position in front of a microphone and a TV camera, and Twitter. That's it. That's not how America should be governed. And the people who do have that political courage, I give you John McCain, Lindsey Graham, uh, Bob Corker. On the on the Democrat side, uh, I, I can I can give you a, a litany of of, uh, of of Democrats that will do the same thing. But regardless, until this country starts taking personal responsibility on how they're governed and they start seeing how this is really done, they cannot complain. They will; it's their constitutional right. <laughs> but we're going to get crap. Put in front of us, I give you Roy Moore, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones. Um, but I'm, I've gotten off my—I've gotten off of moderator, and I got on a soapbox. I'm sorry about that. But what well, I will do, it, is, yeah, I mean, it—it's it, it sort of—it's like saying, "Gee, we want to start all over. We want to take grown adults and 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 uh, take them back to middle school and and high school and and tell them that their priorities are screwed up." I mean, we have what we have now in the country, and we're trying to work around the margins. I, I wanted to say one thing about the, the, the conversation about the, the, the deep South, the red states, the red, red states, um, and resentment towards uh, coastal elites, eastern elites, outsiders, and so on. You know, it's, it's easy to get glib about this and think about Alabama, for example, as a monolith, um, which – it is not. Uh, I think that Trump won there by 28 points or something, which is a massive, uh, a huge victory. Um, uh, there, there are, I, as we know, partly from the Roy Moore stuff and a lot of reporters going down there and talking, a lot of Republicans troubled by Donald Trump. Doesn't mean they would change their vote or would say, gee, I wish I had voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, don't like the way he uh, don't like the way he acts and thinks that it 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 harms his ability to get stuff done. When they when we look at Roy Moore, you've got lots of people, particularly white educated women. We have to sort of segment our conversation ab- about the electorate. Roy Moore loses college educated white women. That Trump won. Trump won that group. Um, white Despite men saying that he wanted bear, to grab women support, by white, white men with a with a college education still give give an edge to more, whereas they were they 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 gave a huge margin uh, to uh, to to President Trump. And so, just as we talk about this red blue South versus coastal elites. In all of these states, they're having their own battle about educated folks and uh, folks with with a high school uh, degree or less. Differences between, in, particularly in the South, African American 
uh, versus white. Uh, that same battle is, that, that we talk about nationally is occurring locally in these states, and it's thrown this whole election into a big question mark. There will be people who sit on their hands. There will be people who do what, what Richard Shelby is sort of suggesting he's doing. He's going to write in a name, um, a Republican. He's not going to vote for the Democrat. And there will be other people who simply won't vote or who will go into the booth and not, fill, and not, not write anything down. Um, and we don't know who all is going to show up. So all of those factors are the big unknowns, which makes polling so extraordinarily difficult because this is a time where where, poll, where most people, if they were, are talked to by a pollster, will say, "Yes, I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the polls." Then they'll give an answer, and they may or may not go to the polls, and they may or may not uh, give the same answer. It, it really is a, a toss-up. But this, but this, uh, this class battle is right. also p- a part of the gender battle and the racial battle that that we've been right. seeing uh, for some time. Well, we're going to talk There's about another the item here, the Democratic oh, responsibility here. So the, the fact that Democrats have basically left the field statewide in Alabama for a while, as well as Mississippi and a few other states, Louisiana, we still play in. Uh, but in part because of the aforementioned litmus test. And let me be clear, I am pro-choice. However, I'm comfortable saying Alabama is not. If Doug Jones were a pro-life Democrat talking to every other Democratic issue except for abortion. If he were a pro-life Democrat, this race wouldn't be close. But because of the litmus test that is put in place on other, in other places other than Alabama by national Democrats, you can't get any headway unless you are pro-choice. And that's troubling. That means, Repub- means uh, the electorate in Alabama is only hearing one side of all issues because you can't get past that one issue which is basically which is basically a veto issue uh for the electorate so uh if doug jones pulls this out he's only going to be there for two years but at least it's worth paying attention to that you know we can there are other democratic issues beyond abortion that it would be nice if if voters in alabama occasionally heard both sides of instead of just the republican and Dan, the, the, you want to know something, Dan? You want to know something, Dan? The, the, the Republicans have the same problem. If we had, I, I am freely pro-choice. I hope that the woman chooses life, but I am freely pro-choice. It's not our job to be. As a Republican, I say we have the same problem in the northeastern states. You know, you look at places like, you know, Massachusetts, Maine, where we do have some resemblance of uh, in existence, we have a Republican governor and Charlie Baker in, Mass- in Massachusetts. Yeah, we've had right. several you keep electing Republicans in these places, and heck, you have a Republican senator who's saying that choice is one of those issues that she's keeps speaking out on, making sure there's co- there's coverage for 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 uh, contraception and other issues. Uh, yeah, it's where's the, where's the flip side on on for Democrats in places where that might be worth. Ha- worth having it's not there but let, let me say as a as a as a yeah, liberal or as, sure. as someone who as someone who comes from the other perspective that you know as someone who i you know i think of this panel that the person making that decision in my elected legislature 
is really important. And if it comes down to one vote and if there is a, you know, someone who votes Democratic on everything else but, you know, will vote against, you know, pro-choice policies, that's a big deal for me and for, like, the large swath of women who, com- who comprise the Democratic Party's electorate. So that I, I think, you know, I understand, I take Dan's point that, yes, we need to adjust sort of national expectations for, um, for the constituencies that they're serving. But at the same time, if that vote in, in our federal government can still affect, you know, any woman in the country's rights to, to choose right. or not, that's a big deal. All right. Well, we're going to let that be the okay, last one. I, I, I got to add something here to this conversation because I was very, I was, I was uncomfortable by the characterization of being pro-life and pro-choice because that, that, uh, that, that, that Justin and, and Dan were making because there's this huge gray area that, that, uh, that we've seen emerge over time and we've seen among the populace um, that, there, one can draw a hard line and say abortion never or abortion always, um, which is kind of the way you guys it, it was coming across to me that you guys were talking about. But there's it's much more nuanced than that. And I think what people were saying about Doug Jones is not that he needed to be pro-life. He needed to <laughs> to say to acknowledge as most of America does that there need to be some uh, restrictions to the notion of abortion on demand up until uh, <laughs> up until viability. Um, most Americans support the idea that after a period like 20, 22, 24, 26 weeks, that abortion should be extremely difficult to to get legally if not impossible i'm not saying everybody agrees but most americans believe there should be some restrictions when when the 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 uh the, the abortion technique um uh uh that is used late in pregnancy partial birth abortion as it was referred to uh, was outlawed. Now, that was it was outlawed because a majority of the people felt that they didn't want that to occur, even though it was highly, it was very rare. There are nuances here that Doug Jones uh, did not avail himself of, and why it was so easy in the Alabama race to paint him as somebody who is supportive of uh, abortion, in effect, on demand throughout a pregnancy. So, Alan, I've got to tell you... It's I, a lot more complicated than just pro-choice and pro-life. That's all. Alan I, Alan, I wish that were the case. As somebody who's worked in politics in the bloodest red states, in some of the bloodest red districts in those states, I can tell you, it is that black and white. It is pro-life, pro-choice. That is the view of the electorate. You go to those parishes where you go to the Church of Christ in Atoka, Oklahoma. You go to the uh, Evangelical Church in Henry County, Florida. Those are people that believe that it is either pro-life and, you know, life starts at conception, or you are a murderer, and, and if you are pro-choice, then you are a murderer and you are taking away God's gift. 
There is not a lot in a vast majority of these red states outside of the urban areas. There's not a lot of gray. You know, I mean, we could talk about the issue of, you know, no, uh, I, you know, I, after I, rape. Let me chime in here. I mean, I mean, but, the, no, no, but no, that's no. Let, reality. Let me, let me chime in here. The the. Alan's actually right. The, the, the shades of gray are, are out there. However, and again, this is the, the only hearing one side of the argument problem. And this is also goes to Sharmila's point that, in fact, part of the issue is those, those places that you described, Justin, are places that people are only hearing one side of the argument because the left has left the field, because we, we've deemed it – well, we're never going to convert 51%, so we're not going to try. Wait, 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 wait. The only let people me, that me, have audience, stop. the only people let that just... have audience are the people that are just preaching what people already believe. Let, hold on, hold on. Let, 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 let me just that, interject. That, that, that's part of what produces that super that that deep redness that you're talking Dan, about. Dan, let me just interject. I, let me just interject one thing. These are people that these are an elect. This is an electorate or a part of our electorate that believes in the deepest part of their being. This is not a because the Democrats have left the playing field. It's because no, we're talking these are the, here. And no, no, no. no. What I'm saying I to you is. I mean, that's reality. And I think part of the problem that the Republican Party has and the Democratic Party in all this, and I think what it's come to light is, is the fact that both parties are trying to convince a, or trying to create a one-size-fits-all aspect to politics. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You cannot say that we have to have a gray area discussion on pro-life versus pro-choice in the first congressional district of Arkansas, because that's not going to work. These are people that truly believe in their faith, their God, and this is a God-given uh, gift that if you take that away, that's murder. So looking at Alabama, for example, looking at Doug Jones, I, I look at Doug Jones as saying, look, the fact that he's doing as well as he can or as he is is a small miracle what this should do is be a wake-up call for the Democratic Party of Alabama is how do we deflect away from pro-choice, pro-life, and keep a moderate, conservative Democrat in play and build up the party from there? It can be done, but nobody's tried that and nobody's taken the risk in the past because everybody writes off Alabama, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and the rest of those blood red states, as there's no sort of discussion going on. Period. So basically, you're agreeing with me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and get, yeah, I, yeah, I like being yeah. right. We could have gotten there a lot quicker. I like, yeah, but I my like head my head version. Is spinning like the little girl in The Exorcist. Well, Wow, wow. Hey, and speaking of which, if you haven't seen the video of Roy Moore being interviewed by the 12-year-old, it's, 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 if, it wa- if it wasn't so sad, it would be comical. Anyway, that being said, uh, we're I, I want to know the political consultant that got that job and came up with that idea. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He should be the next greeter a at a department store. 
I have a feeling it was the candidate himself. Oh God, that, that's scary. Just that's scary. We, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. Get, get me the twelve. Get me the interview with the twelve-year-old from CPAC. That's horrible, Sharmla. Horrible, but maybe true. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, the president has his own problems, which he's created over the past seventy-two hours. Sharmla, get get ready because we're gonna be looking on you on this one. We're gonna be talking about. Yeah, hey, unless you want us to go to uh, the tax bill, we can go to that. No, I'm putting my feminist hat on as we speak. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. This is the best political talk show you never heard of. It's Backroom Politics Live from Washington, D.C., National Capital Region. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us.
is backroom politics. And this is the best political talk show you've never heard of on Blog Talk Radio. It is Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region. This is your moderator and host, Justin Russell, live from Washington, D.C. Joining me from Northern Virginia, the Honorable Alan Moore, and joining me from the Big Apple in New York City, Sharmila Achari. We're going to change a little bit, not kind of a complete shift or pivot, but we're going to bring up uh, what's happening in the hashtag MeToo uh efforts and the movement around that uh and the effect it's having on politics for those who do not know uh at late last week uh senator al franken along with the dean of the house john conyers both resigned from their office midterm uh you know in a cloud of accusations of uh sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior uh, it is also taken down uh, a few of the House members, including uh, Representative Trent out of Arizona. And uh, yet still standing is, uh, is the, um, uh, the representative out of Texas, Freenold. Uh He still is under a, a cloud, but still remains in office. Uh, but it, it, it's come to a head over the past 72 hours that uh, the, the accusations of now up to 19 women that have accused the president of inappropriate behavior, sexual harassment, all the way up to uh, alleged sexual assault, have now gotten, newly, have gotten new steam in their messaging from this Me Too movement. Uh, the big question is now is what happens when it seems to me that uh, Alan Moore, it seems that there seems a double standard coming from the White House where Trump is the first one to throw a rock at Al Franken and John Conyers. But when they start coming up with the 19 accusers that have now come forward against the president, he not only dissipate, he not only dismisses the charges, but acts as though he's never met these people. He doesn't know who they are. Is is, is this a bigger problem that uh, the president is trying to sweep under the carpet, Alan Moore, and he just doesn't realize it, or is this is is this something he can tap dance around? Well, I think he very much realizes it's a problem. Um, uh, I think, in my, my own judgment, does he, one of the wait, wait, does, one he, of, does he take the problem seriously? Of course he does, um, but he also thinks that that he that like Bill Clinton, he faced it and and uh, and survived it, um, and and he looked at the Roy Moore situation and said, "Hey, he denies it, I deny it. Um, there's some equivalency here. Maybe I can support the guy." And then he jumps on uh, those who have acknowledged, even poor old Al Franken, who said, you know, I, I, I admit I behaved badly. I remember things differently or disagree, and I really apologize. And then that, that sort of semi-acknowledgement of behaving badly uh, came back to haunt him, um, which uh, in, in its own way uh, – is a is an interesting uh, lesson for uh, for those in the future who will be accused. Um, 
do you want to uh, acknowledge and apologize or do you want to deny, deny, deny? Um, uh, I think that, that, uh, that the, it, it's not as though in the case of, of Donald Trump, uh, it was, it was just gone and settled. Uh, it wasn't, um, uh, any more than it was, uh, uh with Bill Clinton. Um, and, uh, even though he's no longer in office, uh, and, and, uh, as long as this stuff is out there and as, as we've had this uprising across the country that was really triggered by, the the <laughs> absolutely over the top, uh, behavior and, and numbers of victims, uh, associated with Harvey Weinstein, um, that, and then we've had this, this, uh, sequence since then. And there's some there's some damage. There's this this inability to decide uh, whether all these sins are equal, and whether the punishment should be the same. If you're a politician and you've done anything, um, uh, should you have to step down, or uh, are is a is an unwanted kiss uh, the same thing as um, groping, um, and and and. Uh, or trapping somebody in a room, or assault. I mean, uh, and the, the numbers matter. Uh, the it, in the world of uh, uh, Kristen uh, Gillibrand, any it, it, any single sin is a firing offense. Um, and unfortunately, we've got a long history in this country and lots of bad boy behavior that that dates back. Uh, many years um but if you were a bad boy and i don't mean to make light of it by using that term um because these these bad boys were very bad in many cases um uh if you acknowledge that 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 you did some bad things this stuff may not be forgivable and uh and it, it creates this this really strange environment that that we're in right now um, and Al Franken is the is is the perfect example. Accused of some stuff, some stuff he acknowledged, and thirty some members of his own caucus said, "You need to step down," even though it was going to so, go to the ethics committee. So that so was Charmolet, shocking to me. So Sharmila, you know, seeing the the back and forth and there are so many dynamics surrounding this movement that's come forward that that's that's probably come forward several years too late but it's coming forward and it's coming forward very rapidly when you see this when you look at the denial of a Roy Moore and a Donald Trump and you see uh a John Conyers and a and an Al Franking falling on their swords. Is there, I mean, I mean, are, are, is, is this a matter of the Democrats are just doing this to take a moral high ground or is it that no offense is beyond firing and we need to, you know, you know, whether it's an unwanted kiss or a photograph of you cupping someone's breast, if that gets out and you've done that, especially as a, as a senator, you're gone. Well, I think, I mean, A, I would, I would say that, you know, Al Franken and John Conyers didn't so much fall on their swords, but they were pushed heavily. 
right? Neither of those guys wanted to resign, but they faced so much pressure from their, from their colleagues that, you know, their positions became untenable. They knew that they didn't have the support to, to fight on. So, well, let me, before I think you go forward, the, Charlotte, the Democratic hold leadership. Hold, hold on. Before you go forward, let me ask you a question, because this is something I've been wanting to ask you in particular, because mm-hmm. as, as, as somebody who is politically savvy, who's been a political operative and also, a, you know, a strong proponent of, fem, uh, of feminism, was was Al Franken denied due process? Should he have gotten due process through the ethics committee or was was his sin so bad that he needed to go? I think that so the last time I opined on this on the show was I think two shows ago before uh, before the chorus had really grown on Al Franken. Um, I think that you know we had spoken about this a little bit before where right the con- there's no there are no criminal charges here. There's no potential for the accused to lose their freedom, and so. I think the, the idea of due process may be misapplied. And I think one thing that we can look to as a maybe not perfect, but somewhat suitable proxy for it is journalistic integrity, right? Most of these, these weren't just random tweets or random, you know, women shouting from the hilltops, oh, this guy groped me. These were carefully sourced news stories that came from reputable journalists, you know, reputable publications and reputable journalists. They were backed up by sources by on the record interviews by corroboration and so i think that when you have that sort of level of evidence yes that's not sufficient for a criminal conviction but in a case in cases like these i think that you know especially when these events happen years and years ago and there's no real way for due for due process to occur there's no there's no real evidence you can enter into into a court of law there's no there's not there there's tons of of room for reasonable doubt I think Does that it, it can be it can be a reason it can be a somewhat of a journalistic standards can be somewhat of a proxy for traditional due process. And so but I think again, I think what doomed Al Franken wasn't one or had the accusations been limited to one person, he could have survived. It was the serial behavior, Justin, right? Like you see that with all these guys. It's never an isolated incident. It's never, as Alan said, you know, oh, an unwanted kiss, maybe, you know, a romantic overture that was misinterpreted. It is consistent behavior. With one, with one accuser coming forward, you can trigger a he said, she said, okay, she remembers something differently. When multiple, when five, six, eight, nine, ten women all come forward and describe similar patterns of behavior, that is something that, like, that I think, that, yes, I think that, requires significant examination and does speak to someone's character and does potentially warrant for a resignation or for someone to lose their stature. And especially for someone to lose, I think it's actually different when you're thinking about a private enterprise versus a public enterprise, because for someone to be standing up as, you know, a national role model and as a national leader, they are the people who are supposed to exhibit the best behaviors. They're supposed to be the role models for everyone else. If they're exhibiting this grotesque behavior, then they shouldn't be on that pedestal. Then they should not be on that pedestal. They shouldn't have that role. I think that that's this, a very reasonable thing to say. Does, I mean, does this lead to further pressure to call for Donald Trump to resign? As we've seen today with uh, 14 Democratic women and, and several male, several male, male uh, members of Congress in the Democratic Party calling for Donald Trump to resign based off of the 14 uh, allegations against him right now, and apparently there are several more that may come out. 
I mean, I think it's interesting that now the Donald Trump accusers are being relitigated, right? Because to Ellen's point, this all came out during the campaign. This, these aren't new accusers. This isn't new information. And so I think that, you know, from a political standpoint, it's, there's, it's less compelling for him because he already survived one round of this. He is, you know, he has the evidence on his side to, to show that he can survive another round. Whether or not, and I don't know that, you know, my cynicism when it comes to Donald Trump is really unending. And, you know, for, for the fact that Donald Trump didn't resign after the Access Hollywood tape or, you know, that that, that didn't, didn't bring him down, I can't imagine that, so, that this would, even, even in the shadow of the resurgent Me Too movement. No, but, but let me ask you this. Is, is, what I'm hearing from you I is – I think the calls for his resignation are certainly justified, but I don't think that they're going to be effective. But, but let me ask you this question is, do you see uh, the point and can you accept the point of the White House that this is, that this is something that has come out since 2015? It has been litigated in the court of the electorate. The, uh, the American electorate still elected Donald Trump even after the Billy Bush tapes. Do, it, 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 can you understand the White House's position of saying, look, we've been through this. This is, this is old spilt milk that you guys are trying to cry over. We're not going to cry over it. This has been done. This is a dead issue. Quit kicking the dead horse. Yeah, I certainly, I certainly see their point. If I, that's what I just said. If I was them, I'd be saying the same thing. Because I think I mean, that, yes. Can I, you accept that? I think the case is less. I mean, do I think it's horse hockey? Of course I do. But do I see them changing their tune anytime soon? Of course I don't, because like I said, this is, this is not new. If, if by chance some new accusers come out and bring charges or, you know, bring accusations that we haven't heard before, then I think that argument becomes there. The White House's argument becomes less legitimate. But I think at this point, he's, you know, they're not being unreasonable here. Alan, is, is this Even a dangerous their game? Position. Right. Alan Moore, is this a dangerous game that the White House is playing using the it's already been litigated, quit whining about it, let's move on? Well, a dangerous game? It's like Shamala says, it's the only game. What else are they going to say? You know, and it's, it's the thing we, we were hearing uh, it, 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 a while back when, when, the, the, when, when the, the Bill Clinton accusations began to crop up again. It was like, Oh, that's old news. It, it, it was uh, vetted, litigated. There was an impeachment proceeding, et cetera. Although that was not about the, all of the charges. That was about uh, uh, the Monica Lewinsky stuff and lying under oath. But, but uh, an obstruction of justice relating to that, um, conveniently not wanting to address Paula Jones, although that was certainly litigated and, and she was paid $850,000. Um, although he never admitted wrongdoing, um, and and, uh, and and so on, but times change, issues change, charges change, the, the 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 society changes, and stuff that maybe didn't get the kind of complete uh, uh, consideration and investigation that it might have deserved at the time comes back, and that's what's happening right now to the president. I mean, how can we? throw out an Al Franken, for example, for charges that no matter if, if every word every woman said was true, um, 
And if every word that the that that the uh, Trump accuser said was true, um, then Trump's sins were far more extensive over a longer period of time and more significant. So as we change the rules for what the penalty is, it's fair game to bring up old stuff. Now, but if you're the president, of course you're going to say, been there, done that, bunch of liars already litigated. Um, What will be interesting is when, if, if Roy Moore gets elected and, uh, and people say, okay, we got to take it to ethics committee. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Um, Roy Moore's supporters are going to say, wait, wait, been there, done that. This was, <laughs> this was all fully vetted back uh, during the election. And the, uh, the, the, the voters said, yeah, whatever, we're going to vote for him anyway. Now, the fact that a lot of voters said we believe him when he said it was not true um, Maybe there would be some interest in trying to figure out if we can learn more about but, the truth of those accusers. Most of us believe the women. Um, so, so, but I don't. I I don't know what else the the. This is not a White House that's known for uh, for being quiet uh, about things. But gosh, sure. if I were they, that it, it's as Sharmila says, this is about all they can say. That but well, what's it, amazing it, to it me was is, litigated. We had an election. It was solved. But but what's amazing to me is is the fact that you know they may have the right to remain silent. The question is, does this White House have the capability to remain silent? You you look at what happened today. You know you we have Senator Kristen Gillibrand, Democrat out of New York, calling for Donald Trump's resignation, which we can expect. Uh, and then Trump goes after her, says, and this is a quote from. Uh, real Donald J. Trump Twitter, quote, lightweight Senator Kristen Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer and someone who would come to my office, quote, unquote, begging for campaign contributions not so long ago, parentheses, and would do anything for them, is now in the ring fighting against Trump. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked use. The, the the six words that everybody are looking at is and would do anything for them. Sharmila, is that a sexist smear, as Kristen Gillibrand put it today in her press conference in response to this? Or is it, as the White House is putting it, a, a uh, an accusation of the problem of lobbyists and big money being involved in politics? I think the evil genius of Donald Trump is that it can be both, right? He leaves enough. Thank you, Charmola. That's an excellent answer. Yeah. He's, he's not, you know, as, as much as I have to say about our president, he's not dumb. He's been on, he's one of the pioneers of using Twitter to communicate through the masses. He understands the nuances that he is communicating to people, right? He's leaving it open to interpretation for his hardcore alt-right, you know, misogynist supporters. Of course it's a sexist smear. Of course he's saying like, oh, yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. She'll do anything. To everyone else, he can give plausible deniability. Of course I didn't mean that. Get your heads out of the gutter. Right? It's, it's, um, he, he threads that needle very perfectly. And so short answer, yes, it is a sexist smear. It, it, is, it is as sexist as he wants it to be. And, of course, Donald Trump always takes more umbrage and criticism coming from a woman than he does from a man. From a man, he feels like, oh, okay, it's a fair fight. You know, you punch me, I punch you back. It's all fine. But with a woman, 
he gets so aggrieved when a woman has the temerity to criticize him that he kind of it you can see his his anger and his sort of desire to to punch back and to punch back low and below the belt goes up one notch is is this a dangerous task for the president because now he's got not only Kristen Gillibrand and now Elizabeth Warren but several female members of Congress that are calling for his head right now. Uh, is this a dangerous fight for the president to pick? Again, I, you know, as much as I hate to say this, I don't think so because it's worked for him in the past, right? He has been very skilled at delegitimizing women who come after him. Look at, I mean, his Pocahontas slur, look at Crooked Hillary. You know, I can't imagine what kind of racist slur he's going to throw against Macy Hirono, but like, this strategy has worked for him in the past. So to say, is it a dangerous game? Like I can't in good faith say yes to this because even though, of course, personally, I find it appalling, it, it works for him. It, it, he doesn't get dragged down by this stuff. It only elevates the legend of Trump. Alan Warren, let me ask you the, in this, let me ask you the same question in a different way. Does the president's luck run out at any time picking a fight with female members of Congress on Twitter war? I, you know, if you if you'd asked me that a year ago, even six months ago, you'd say, yeah, yeah, you got to be careful. But but uh, he is he is so Teflonized in the stuff he can say and get away with. And in this case, as Charmelo accurately points out, he 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 can easily deny that he was he was uh, that this was a that, that this was a sexist smear he would say no i would have said the same thing about i would have said and have said the same thing about chuck schumer comes in wants money money and he'll do anything for me um and uh uh and and, and on the one hand he is clearly as sharma says a master of, of using uh, social media you know his favorite uh, being twitter um, and what I can't figure out, and I'm not quite willing to concede that he always knows what he's doing and that he's always got, uh, got some cover. I think sometimes he completely screws up, blunders into things, um, and, and, and creates enormous problems for no gain with things that he tweets out that, that were not thought through. Then he will, he will, uh, at that when that begins to happen, rather than acknowledging a mistake, he'll come up with something even more outrageous, change the subject, and move in a different direction, and that seems to work for him. So even when he does screw up, which I think he does often uh, on Twitter, he has figured out how to uh, make an embarrassing subject uh, move into the background by by uh, by changing the subject. Um, so. Um, I, I don't, you know, these, these, these women, the, the, the fact that they're calling for him to resign is fine, but it's like, wait, they just did now. Haven't they sort of been talking about that for a long time? And there was a, there was a house impeachment vote, uh, just last week that got whatever, 50, 60 votes. Um, uh, and, and so, um, I, I don't, myself see this uh, uh, 
that the 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 request from Senator Gillibrand, uh, uh, the defense from Elizabeth Warren, is things that are going to do any particular make any particular difference or do any particular harm to the president. Well, um, we've got a uh, we've be, got a uh, call, we've got a caller. Hold on, Alan. We got a caller. Oh, oh, caller oh, from the caller Senator from Gillibrand the seven seven seven. Yeah. Caller from the seven seven three area code. You're on with backroom politics. What's your thoughts? Yes, hello, good afternoon, um, gentlemen. I am enjoying the conversation, but I first would like to say, you know, one more have been accused, and I believe those women, and the ethics, um, ethics committee, uh, if he were to get elected, I highly doubt it, but if he do, they need to investigate him. He needs to be thoroughly investigated. Those women's story need to be brought up in front of Congress, in front of the Senate. So if, if what they're saying is not true, then let it be vetted by those folks in office. I would also would like to say to poor white people, if you're poor and white, you need to be looking to joining the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is there for poor people, whether you're poor and black or whether you're poor and white. It okay. is time for poor white people to join the struggle of poor black people. It's no different. This is a class issue. And the thing in Alabama, what I don't understand, I mean, high poverty rates. And you're constantly voting for the Republican Party. What have they done for the 40 years of representation of the Republicans done for the state of Alabama? Absolutely nothing. Because if they done great things for the state of Alabama, they will have high educational rates, graduation rates, high uh, income rates. Everything is so low, and the majority of people in there is poor white people. When would poor white people wake up and say, it's time to join a party that look out for us, not right, join a party the- that look out just for skin color? Appreciate the call, caller. Thank you. I hope you'll stay with us. Sharma. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this is something that uh, came and haunted Hillary Clinton, that she kind of took the poverty electorate for granted, saying, oh, well, they'll vote for us anyways. Caller had a point. He did. I mean, I, 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 I certainly agree with his point that, you know, at statistically Alabama scores lowest in, in health, health results, education results, income results. And yes, they've been Republican controlled for the last three years. So I think that he made a very compelling argument for, uh, for you know, lower middle class and, and working class voters to, to and, make and, a change. But and and Alan Caller made a point as far as I mean, is there an argument that can be made that if if Roy Moore wins this, if Roy Moore is successful in taking the election today, brings his credentials to uh, the Senate. He is seated as a senator and immediately goes into ethics. The caller is saying, give him his due process. Is there an argument to be made for that? Justin, we talked about that at the first hour. We said, that's what's going to happen. It wasn't, there was, <laughs> there was nothing new there. Mitch McConnell has said, if he's elected, there will be a, it'll go to the ethics committee. That's what they do. They investigate uh, credible charges of behavior that that would bring disrespect upon the Senate, and it doesn't have to be stuff that people did as senators. Um, 
uh, it could be anything they've done that could bring being disrepute on the Senate. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah. With regard to yeah. Alabama, it's not last in everything. It's in the bottom five in most things. Um, uh, I say last. And I said 40 low. years ago, 40 years ago, it had it. I don't remember what the legislature was, but it had it had Democrat uh, senators uh, and and uh, and congressional representatives. Um, so it's undergone a change. Maybe it was maybe it was a little earlier than that. I mean, that was all part of the the Nixon revolution. Um, but but the thing about Alabama and the thing that's so fascinating right now is Alabama has made inroads economically, even though it's generally soil, et cetera, is poor. Um, uh, it, it, it's you know it's not filled with with the glorious natural resources of some states, but they were able to attract uh, a Mercedes auto plant and are now competing for I think it's a Mazda plant. And they are the, 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 the business leaders and some of the, 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 the thoughtful political leaders oh, are and, mortified and by the way, Alan, that and, and their, by the way, their Alan, ability to compete. Yeah. Alan, Alan you know, you talk about the Mercedes plant. It should also be noted that Mercedes just committed another model line to the Alabama factory, which will probably create another 5,000 to 7,000 jobs there in Alabama. So the Alabama – uh, economic development machine is doing something right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I, my, that, who are those benefits occurring that, to? That, that, that southern states um, ha- have uh, enough going for them uh, to be able to compete for uh, for some of these plants. I, I think that the Mercedes plant may be one of the most efficient plants that Mercedes has in the world. And there were, there were demonstrations in Germany when they decided to build the plant there and, and the, the expansion and the competition for a new plant, uh, different, different auto company are all in jeopardy right now um, because of the, the concern that this may not be uh, the, the kind of family friendly uh, living environment that uh, these these international companies want to be associated with. I mean, there's 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 this whole business uh, concern and fear that uh, the ugliness of this campaign and the Roy Moore uh, history and point of view uh, could be harmful to the long-term economic interests of of Alabama, uh, an area that has struggled and has made some progress in recent years. Well, Charmley, you had a comment. I heard you trying to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, I agree with Alan's points, but yeah, they've, Alabama has had uh, significant success in attracting a lot of automobile manufacturing there, which has been great for economic development. But how can we haven't seen those economic development in theory is, is beneficial because it filters through to the rest of society and it creates better educational outcomes, better health outcomes. Uh, you know, better mortality outcomes, and yet we're not seeing those results in Alabama. We're still seeing Alabama in, to Alan's point, the bottom quintile of all these other soft factors. So where We've got is another, the disconnect there? And is that we got another caller. Caller, caller from the 314. You're on with Backroom Politics. What's your comment? Well, if the Third Street Baptist Church bombing haven't kept Alabama back in the Stone Ages. These allegations and assumptions on the great Roy Moore won't either. And <clears throat> I'm an African American, 
and unfortunately, I don't live in Alabama because if I did, I would vote early and often for Roy Moore. But I called up my brothers and sisters and told them to get their butts to the poll. And what has our nation come to? You know, if you really went by this, the House and Senate would be cleared out. And athletic teams would be nothing but cheerleaders on the field. And, you know, it's devious how they talk about that this tax plan is going to add $1 trillion to the deficit. Well, you doggone right it will, because I'll be able to keep my tax money in my pocket. So, uh, no, I hope Mr. Moore is successful. Why? So let me ask you a question. This is, uh, caller, let me ask you this question. Why, why, why do you think that Roy Moore is good for Alabama? And particularly, particularly as an African American. Listen, these allegations that all of a sudden show up. I'm not talking about the hold on, caller, particular caller, time. I'm not, caller, I'm not talking about the allegations. I am talking about why do you think, as an African American, Roy Moore stands to benefit you as an African American voter than not? Outside of the allegations, I think Roy Moore wants to bring. Do? Roy Moore wants to bring God and conscience back to the United States government. I think that's good enough for me. Oh, all right. Very good. That's a fair enough answer. Appreciate it. And the he's call. a man with perseverance. You know, it's good to have a person with perseverance. It's good to have somebody, an alpha male in the White House who hits back. You know, I didn't vote for Donald Trump because he has the potential standing out on the White House lawn putting golf balls in Valentine's shorts. I voted for him because of the issues he put up forth. School choice, tax reform, immigration reform, and protecting the borders. That's why I voted for him. Very, very good. I will good. vote for him again. Very good. Caller, Thank we you. hope you'll keep listening. Thank you. Hey, you, you know, i got to tell you something. That is an interesting perspective that, that, that should probably, Sharmla, scare the Democratic Party. That, that there is an unheard of electorate in Alabama that might think in a similar way to that last caller. That's bad news for Doug Jones. I think it is, right? I mean, I've, I've said this to people over the years. I think, you know, the, the Republican Party has done itself a, a severe disservice by alienating African-American voters with its sort of voter suppression policies and its kind of veiled racism over the years. Um, when there are a lot of, I think, African-American voters like this gentleman who are very Christian, who are very socially conservative, and would happily vote Republican if it wasn't for their kind of overt, if it weren't for the, you know, racial undertones or overtones in, in a lot of their policies. And so I think that, I think that this electorate does exist. Um, you know, apparently this, this gentleman was not bothered by Roy Moore's comments on race. He is much more concerned with his Christian faith. And yeah, I, I agree that that. That could be a Alan significant Moore. blocker to, to, to Jones turning out African-American or other votes. Alan Moore, is, 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 that, is, is that a segment that maybe uh, both parties have, have either underestimated or ignored or just not heard the noise behind it that they should be concerned about? The segment meaning African-Americans African, who African-American think voters that, 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 no, that way more – African Americans who would who would vote for Roy Moore is going to be a narrow sliver that won't expand. That doesn't mean I, you know, respect people and their opinions, but uh uh there, there that, that is that is a 
that is a segment that uh, uh, is not the best use of uh, uh, of Republican money to try to mine. African Americans in general, absolutely. I mean, I think that even though that first caller was talking about, you know, why he doesn't understand why poor people of all kinds don't support Democrats and. And uh, there are many of us uh, who believe that there are different uh, different ways of setting up government that can make the most difference and provide the most opportunity for all folks, white or uh, uh, or people of color. And and uh, that that's a different kind of a debate. Um, Dan, uh, he was simply it was, for him it was sort of a matter of faith. I, I mean, but that, but the, the one thing I've always said inside the Republican Party is that we are stupid for not capitalizing on that. Everybody assumes that everybody, like you look at Washington, D.C., for example, uh, Washington, D.C., there is the largest segment of African-American population on what we call the other side of the river in Ward 8. If you go into, if you are a Republican in Washington, in the Republican Party in Washington, which is basically useless, but if they were smart and the RNC were smart, they would go into those neighborhoods like Anacostia, Berry Farms, uh, Good Hope Road. You go into those areas and you go and find the pastors. You go and find the, 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 the civic leaders. Those are people that are usually strong in faith, that usually have strong family values, that usually believe in pro-life tendencies that believe in uh, the, sanct- the sanctity of, of original marriage and the sanctity of the family, those are Republican, bas- Republican bastions that the Republican Party has never even thought of touching. And that's nationwide. Dan Lipner, how does the Democrat, Democratic Party stem that, that flow to not necessarily making them Democrats, but keeping them from supporting the Republican Party. Can that can they stop that and stop that tide? I mean, I've been saying this for years, but I have two words for you that pretty much answer this. It's where the show started. Roy Moore. <laughs> I mean, that kind of nonsense it, 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 it has, is not new. I mean – yeah, everything you said is right. And if the Republican Party in the South could get past the racist tendencies it's been flirting with, yeah, they could make lots of headway. Uh, but that's not the issue at play. The principal issue is playing footsies with people who, who while it might not be the Klan, might think the Klan was just misunderstood. Uh, that's part of the issue, and when you're when you're playing games with with voting rights, when you're playing games with other issues as far as access to education and 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 anything else, you it, it, the issues become pretty straightforward. So, yeah, the Republican Party could make headway, but if they insist on not taking actions that at least uh, make it look as though the field is pl- being played fairly, it's not going to happen. I and mean, this is stuff that's gone on for well in excess of a century. And while the party title has changed, and I'll be the first to admit it, used to be Dixiecrats in the South, but that the, the lines have moved. And it's most certainly the Republican Party that has picked up the banner, and that's since Nixon's Southern strategy and you know followed up with 
though, most contemporarily with uh, Roy Moore or Ronald Reagan kicking off his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. I mean, all of that stuff was deliberate, and it, it all signals a certain kind of folk and alienates a certain other kind of folk. So, yeah, that's nope. the game. Nope. There we go. Hey, I want to do. I do want to take a couple of minutes. We got about fifteen minutes left in the show. I do want to talk about the, the uh, GOP tax bill. The GOP tax bill, for those who do not know, has now gone to conference, where members of uh, the House and members of the Senate will kind of get together, theoretically, and come up with a version that satisfies everybody's tastes and needs, and it'll go back and it will be sent to the president for signature into law. The big question is. There's a lot of consternation going on as far as how this bill will affect the deficit. Uh, the the Congressional Budget Office and the Joint Tax uh, what is it, Alan Moore? The Joint Tax Caucus or Committee, the one that's no, saying the that Joint it, Committee on Taxation. Thank you. The Joint the, Committee the on joint Taxation. Committee on Taxation. Thank yep. you. The Joint the Committee House on Taxation. Staff. Staff that are experts in, in this stuff Right, so the Joint Committee on Taxation Along with the Congressional Budget Office Have all come back and scored this And said that this Bill will add one Trillion dollars at least To the national deficit Alan Moore, I'm going to go to you on this one How do Republicans Particularly Tea Party Republicans Like Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin Like Bob Corker and that crowd How do they wrap themselves around this tax bill, vote yes and support it, going against all ideals of of throwing more deficit money for not. Well, so first thing, um, uh, they – I'll remind you, Bob Corker of Tennessee has all, was, was the one Republican who voted against the, the, the bill in the Senate for exactly this reason. He's concerned that it, that it adds too much to the, to the deficit over 10 years. Um, he's the only one in the Senate who did that, but he's not the only one who's reflecting and thinking about that and who, who, uh, who's paying attention to what comes out of this conference committee, even though pressure to stay with the initial vote will be just enormous, uh, enormous. Right. Now, let's just put things in perspective for a moment. Um, it is estimated that over the next 10 years, under current laws, um, and spending patterns and revenue patterns, the national debt will rise about $10 trillion. Um, Republicans uh, believe, some Democrats agree with at least part of this, that an area that, that could improve our economic outlook would be reform of the corporate tax structure where America has one of the higher corporate tax uh, systems in the in in the developed world, and that it works to our disadvantage when we're competing internationally uh, for investment, for plants, etc. Um, that was the the real rationale behind this tax bill in the first place, uh, until the president started talking about how it was going to be this boon to middle class taxpayers. So, so the the with regard to these estimates, uh, which you are absolutely correct. Um, that that those they, they tend to believe it'll add about a trillion, and I just I, I use the ten trillion to say so that that it, instead of going up by ten trillion, it would go up by eleven trillion over ten years if this tax bill were to pass. Just to put it in perspective, the second thing though is that 
that a lot of Republicans believe, partly as a matter of faith, <laughs> if you will, that it won't nearly have that that uh, that negative effect. That in fact it will improve. Uh, uh, that it will be significantly less than that, and might even um, uh, uh, trigger a very modest surplus, meaning wouldn't cost a trillion, wouldn't cost anything because of the uh, economic activity that will that it will generate. That's of a small minority that has that view, but these numbers, when you're trying to guess over 10 years of the feedback effects, et cetera, is very, very complicated and controversial analysis. Um, and uh, the Republicans have simply concluded that, well, we'd rather live with the possibility of a uh, 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 of an increase of, a, of uh, let's say, 10 percent um, over the next 10 years in the deficit instead of failing, again, to get a, a major legislative priority done, which could cripple and hamper us uh, all of next year, and harm us in the 2018 elections. Uh, the, the view being, there's a lot of things we'd like to, we Republicans would like to achieve for the country, but if we right. can't show the ability to do right. at least something, we having so, failed on on uh, on repealing uh, and replacing Obamacare, if we can't so, get a tax bill done, then we will be crippled um, for for as a party, uh, as a legislative. Uh, uh, entity and the damage to the country uh, under that view would be right. way larger than so, um, uh, than adding one uh, another ten percent, if you will, so, to Charmala, uh, to the expected increase in the deficit. Right. So, Sharmila, let, let me go to you and ask this question to you, and then I also want to follow it up with Dan. When did I land in Bizarro World? I'm starting to get the impression that the the party in power has no problem adding to the deficit. It's the minority party that starts rambling and starts screaming about added money to the deficit. When we talk about this GOP tax bill, the people that I would normally expect to say, oh, my God, they're adding to the deficit, aren't people like Ron Johnson and, uh, uh, and, Paul, and, Ryan? and, Bob, and Paul Ryan and Bob Corker. It's – it's it's the Democrats. It's the people like Chuck Schumer and 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 uh, and Kristen Gillibrand and 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 the Midwest crowd. When did I land in Bizarro World? What's the story there? I mean, honestly, I think you landed here in 2009 because that is the moment when you know, with the election of Barack Obama, when the Republican Party started opposing any measure put forth by the White House because it was put forth by the Democrats. That's the moment where I think our tribal politics really solidified to the point that where they are now, where each party is just completely bizarrely taking stances against their long-held policy views for the last 40 years. Dan Lipner, right? you I mean, agree? No. Uh, the, <laughs> the, difference, the big difference... No, no. I mean, the, the, the big difference is between... The, the two parties on, on this, and it's not the desire to spend money. It's only one party that has a desire to actually raise taxes to pay for spending money. And the re Republicans, while the, the interests are different of what they would like you spend money on, 
the actual idea of these things have to be paid for, only one side is having that discussion. So what do you do? So, yeah, the Republicans, out of convenience, talk about the deficit and, and when new programs get put into place. Uh, when it's the Democrats, that part is true. But then when when they're in charge, lo and behold, when, you know, the social spending is, is, is a giant headache that you don't want to spend money on, though mysteriously, when it comes to cutting those things that uh, some of their constituents need, th- th- those cuts aren't, aren't going to go too deep. But the military spending, it's as though that money came out of thin air and, and is not the same pool of cash uh, of general revenue. And the the money that the president wants to spend and, and Congress wants to spend, I believe the uh, allocation for DOD was in excess of what the Pentagon actually asked for. Uh, it, that money has to come from somewhere. So if we're, if we're not going to tax it, we're going to borrow it. So we're going to tax future generations. But one side does not think defense money is actual tax money. So what do you do? Round the horn, real quick, Alan Moore, does this does this tax bill get implemented and signed by the president before Christmas? No. Dan Lipner? I hope not. Charmla? I agree with the with the gang, no. The correct answer is no. Donald Trump does not get his Christmas gift. He gets a big lump of coal in his stocking and we all know Whoa, coal is no, a no, 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 industry. No, no. There's a difference between saying done by he Christmas and not getting it done at all. Uh, nah, he's going to get a big lump of – he's not going to get – he promised Christmas. Big Christmas gift. He, not going to get done. He hasn't he's promised any – He's going to put all the coal back to work with that lump of coal. I think the <laughs> question know, is a, whether a tax bill gets done. That's the bigger, the harder question. He, he promised Christmas. I'm just saying, does it get done by Christmas? The answer is no. It's not. It's not. And he gets a lump of coal. There we go. Hey, on behalf of uh, our roundtable, Sharma, always glad to have you. Thank you, ma'am. Sharma Chari, Dan Lipner, thanks for joining. Alan Moore, always good to have you on, sir, every Tuesday. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back live next week in our last show before Christmas, uh, talking about <laughs> probably doing – A lot of more talk about Alabama and Roy Moore. We'll find out what happens here shortly. Uh, Keep an eye on our Twitter account, at BackroomPolitics. We're going to be actively covering the uh, election results tonight. Uh, You can also follow us on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash BackroomPoliticsRadio. We will be covering the race on that. Uh, You can uh, follow us on Twitter, at BackroomPolitics, or you can also email your comments and questions to justin at BackroomPolitics.org. Until next Tuesday, have a great week, America. We will see you and enjoy and have a happy holiday season leading up. And to our friends, Dan, and uh, all of our other friends of the Jewish faith, happy Hanukkah. Thank you. All right. Have a great week, America. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Backroom Politics. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.